You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. So, are these your notes? These, are these your notes about what we're going to say? What does I it say? it would be a good... <laughs> I didn't even get to idea. Okay. Maybe I can just ask you the question. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's going well. It's going really well. <laughs> Hello, and thanks for joining us once again on the Right and Wrong podcast. I'm Jamie, and talking with me today is the one and only Caroline Sheldon of the Caroline Sheldon Agency. Hi, Caroline. Welcome to the show. Hi. So nice to be with you. And I'm looking forward to it. Such a pleasure to have you. First things first, huge congratulations. Nominated by the Romantic Novelists Association for Agent of the Year. So exciting. I have to say it is a great thrill. And I'm very honoured to have been nominated, particularly because I've always loved the Romantic Novelists Association. Yeah. Um, What I most like about them is their mentoring that they've done for 40 years before the word mentoring was even thought of in their new writers scheme where writers have commented on other writers work and many many successful women's fiction writers have grown out of that mentoring scheme yeah they've got a really sort of good uh base of 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 work that that's been going on for many a great legacy we would say yeah And I don't think anybody at any other writing organisation has been doing it. You know, I think it was completely unique. I mean, it's almost been going since the Second World War. Wow. Because because there's there's a lot nowadays. They're sort of popping up all over the place where mixtures of different different sort of genre based or or age based, uh, all that sorts of thing. But um, how did it feel when you found out that you'd been nominated? I was very excited. And, and amazed, and I'm very grateful to whoever nominated me. It's all secret, so um, that's just lovely. And, you know, we think we work hard as an agency. Um, I don't think the market's easy at all, and it, it's just lovely to be recognised. Yes, and as as you say, as an agency, because you are nominated alongside your partner in crime, Felicity True. I know. Well, Felicity True is a fantastic colleague. She is, and yes. So I'm very excited to be nominated behind her. I will be right behind her winning. We do have 50% of nominations, which one might think short of the odds. Yeah. But let's see, let's see what happens on the night. And yeah. of course, all the agents nominated work really hard. And so fingers crossed for them all, but us in particular. <laughs> but you in particular. I yeah. mean, it's a great achievement just just to be nominated because it's it's a very high caliber of, of people in that selection. Um, yeah. I asked this to Felicity, who was on recently, but uh, you guys do work closely, but obviously you, you have your own clients and your own uh, lists. Did it feel like an especially special year for you this this past year? I think it's been, I mean, we've all lived in the pandemic, haven't we? Yes. So things have been slightly different. Mm. Um I think it feels more like a continuation of what went on before. I mean, I we're just terribly grateful that books have performed 
at least as well during the pandemic, possibly yeah. slightly better. Yeah. But I think in terms of publishers taking up new authors, it's it's been a very, very tough time. Um, you know, getting a new author taken on by a major publisher in print and e is is a rare occurrence now, whereas it used to be the norm. Um, and many of new writers are being directed to the ebook lists, which, I mean, it's a, a beginning, but it's yeah. not quite what one most might hope for. No, it, it's the, the dream is always to go to a bookshop and see your book uh, in the shelves yeah. and like hold yeah. it in your hand, I, I, I guess. Yeah. And of course, even if you're published by, um, as a mainstream paperback, you know, Waterstones only stocks, I think about one in 20 of authors published, something like yes. that, which is yes. scary. So authors do have the awful experience of going to bookshops and not seeing their book on the shelves. Yeah, and not necessarily because it wasn't there, but perhaps someone bought the few Somebody copies that they it, had. Which is a yeah. good reason. Yeah. yeah, so like good and bad. You don't see it, but someone yeah. bought it, so that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to hear more about you and your journey in publishing. You've been in publishing a, quite a long time now. Yes, um, I'm very bad at maths. <laughs> yeah, I think it might be 40 years, but I'm I'm not going to delay the interview while we absolutely work it <laughs> Let's out. Let's get the calculator out and just maybe sure. <laughs> but so, I started working as an editor. Well, I didn't start as an editor. I started as a secretary, which is except a rather bad one because I never did a typing course. <laughs> Um, which is how people started, or women started in those days. Okay. And I became an editor, let's say, after two years. And right. I edited the women's fiction list at Arrow um, and built up a list of successful authors and was lucky enough to, to edit Ruth Rendell in Pegback, which is one of my wow. great pleasures, but also built up a list of women's fiction writers who were successful at the RNA, who were shortlisted for RNA awards um oh. I think maybe one RNA awards on a number of occasions so that was great fun then I took on the children's book side of the arrow list as well so I've always in my career done two things women's fiction and children's list sir and then about 30 years ago I decided I wanted to represent authors and I set up the agency and that's what I've been doing ever since wow you've really it sounds like you were done first of all You've been working closely with the RNA for a long time, <laughs> very long time. So this must be very yeah. meaningfully that, that yeah. this is the association that nominated you, yeah. which is lovely. Uh, and also, my God, you've done you, you've really sort of done so many such a, a wide sort of breadth of, uh, of work in the industry. Yeah. What was, it sounds like you enjoyed editing. What, what was it that made you want to then swap over to representing? Yes, I think I wanted, you know, I wanted to be more with the author on their journey, which perhaps you are more as an agent. Um, yeah, I can see that. And right in at the start of the dreaming up of the project and the concept and all that. So, yeah, I see what you're saying where it's nice to be along for the for the ride as opposed to, yeah. I suppose editing is more the sort of conclusion of, of if, if, you know, if each book is a journey, it's the conclusion of that journey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, editing, you do get the excitement of the finished book with the cover and, you know, you've actually produced mm. that thing. And 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 that I, I mean, I don't miss it so much now, but 
when I first became an agent, I definitely missed that. And I also missed reading the reps reports of people who are actually out on the road sort of selling in, throughout the UK and hearing what's moving. Slightly different to the bestseller list. You know, there was a lot of information on those reports we got in. So I missed those two things. But I do like being involved in an author's career. I yeah. think that's what attracts me about agenting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it must be equally or like perhaps in a different way fulfilling when you take that book from concept all the way to and then you yeah. see it in the shelf and and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean that. Yeah, I can I can see the appeal of both and I can see why yes. they're both very competitive fields. Yes. Have you yourself ever wanted to write? Oh, I I did write something once, but I think the answer is no. And no. The, the talent to I mean, it, it is an extraordinary talent. And, you know, where it comes from, who knows? You know, it's not, I think storytelling, I suppose, is what you might mention as the talent you might be able to notice in all people who write books. Yeah. Imagination, but the imagination has to be under control. Way with words, another thing you need. Um, and these aren't the skills an editor or an agent has. <laughs> is, is you think it's more it's more clinical what the agents and editors more, do? Yeah, more clinical. Um, you know, I think editors and agents can have vision of, of what they think is going to work and what's going to work on the shelves and titles. I love titles, you know, thinking about them. Um, but actually writing a book is is a rare rare talent yeah i mean i i'm i'm impressed by anyone who could who you know you just finish a book and whether that gets you whether that gets picked up by an agent whether it gets published it's just yeah. an impressive impressive feat to have finished a book. it's a fantastic thing to have done yeah but of course i mean if you knit a jumper your friends are really impressed yeah. <laughs> if you write a book that isn't published in a particular way it's a bit of a damn squib you know no, nobody yeah. is impressed as they should be yeah because the, i mean the the stereotypical thing that all my writer friends is when when you tell someone who's who's outside of this bubble that yeah. oh yeah no i've written a book and, and they'll say oh where can i buy it and it's like yeah. well it's not published yet it's like well when are you publishing yeah. it that's not as simple as that <laughs> no, <right. laughs> one does not simply snap their fingers and it is published yeah no so you've been in the industry for around 40 years we're gonna say yeah. we're gonna guess uh what do you think? Might be fifty. It could I think be. I am going to get the <laughs> no, while I'm talking, I'll just do a little maths. I should have prepared. <laughs> well, my question was, what do you think are the biggest? Forty-eight. Forty-eight years. There you go. Yeah. Almost fifty. Almost the half century. Yeah, yeah. I've what done you... my time. <laughs> what do you think are the biggest changes? since you started in the industry and, and, and since now? Oh, I, I, I mean, I don't, basically, I don't think there are that many changes. That's I mean, interesting. <laughs> still, you have to find the best books. You have to publish them in the best way. I think editors are probably less independent than they used to be in publishing houses. And perhaps, you know, perhaps it was easier to publish more with less corporate input. You know, the name of the game is sniffing a bestseller, promoting it, yeah. finding an author who's going to work. You know, it's that's not changed, and that's the essence of the business. Yeah. Do you think it's much more 
competitive now it's much more crowded i'm not saying it's more crowded it might be less crowded but there's less there's less being taken on i would say i'd say i'd say i'm sorry i'm depressing i'd say <laughs> there were fewer opportunities for writers to earn money yeah i can see yeah. that and surveys by the society of authors would back that up yeah well i mean you mentioned earlier a lot of a lot of new writers are pushed towards ebooks now yeah and I mean, inherently, an ebook is cheaper online, uh, and yeah. you're not usually going to make as much, I presume, as much money on a deal with an ebook than you would with a, you know, the full suite, as it were, yeah. as, as was traditional. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully, it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S. based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Traditionally done. But hopefully one's moving towards that suite. Yeah. And, yeah. and there is usually some limited printing of the book, but it's not a big print edition. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I'm sure people who publish on ebook only deals, as you say, do go on to, you know, if that's a success. Oh, there will then, be people who go on to big success. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, yeah. whether that's with that book or with the next book or, yeah. you know, what have you. And one has to remember many best selling authors, it may be their 12th book, mm-hmm. they become a bestseller. You know, it's, it's, it's not first book wins all. Yes. It's, you know, there's a growth, there's a growth of fans, there's a growth of writing, there's a growing presence in the market. Um, and, and that is all still true. I mean, if people aren't given the ability to grow their talents, then we won't have those giants of the yeah. industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The example, I tr- I've tried to explain a similar thing to to some of my friends. And, and the example I always give is, uh, it's like, well, had you heard of Game of Thrones before it was, you know, yeah. before it was what we now know as Game of Thrones? And, and yes. And it's not even called that. That's not even, that's just the first book. And I'm sure there will have been a moment at some editorial meeting somewhere where some editor was sort of fighting for that book to be published. And somebody was saying, oh, we don't want it called that. Oh, it doesn't sound the right sort of author. Oh, we don't like, you know, these books have been thought for and positioned. And, And as an editor, the best thing that can happen is, you know, you fought for this author and their books for years, and then suddenly the sales director says, "Oh, I'm so glad I've always backed <laughs> this project." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. you just have to go along with it and pretend <laughs> it's their project and let them make it their baby and sell it hard. <laughs> Taking all the credit, but absolutely, that's, that's what, as long as the author succeeds and the book succeeds, that's exactly that's all. That's all us agents and editors want. Yes, yes. Do you think? Uh, there are any big shifts coming on the horizon for the industry? Well, I heard there was a shortage of paper, which would be a nightmare, wouldn't it? Well, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that would be the worst thing that could happen. So let's hope that's a rumour and not true. Even more e-books. Big shift. I mean, one way big shifts might move is that less books are published, fewer books, 
and I think this is a shift that's been happening for a while, that, that there are fewer books published um, and therefore that there's less advanced money for new authors and yeah. that's the biggest shift I'd see. Hopefully we've got another phenomenon somewhere out there about to happen like Game of Thrones or J.K. <laughs> Rowling or Lee Child, you know, there must be some major bestsellers on the cusp of being born and we don't know who they are but there will hopefully be something mega coming through because a really big success takes things through in its slipstream and success builds success so the more success there is the more success follows upon it yes yeah i mean you can see it in all all kind of pop culture where game of thrones was big and then suddenly you saw all these fantasy television shows and movies and and now we're on to epic sci-fi with the uh frank herbert's dune the new movie just coming out um so yeah hopefully i understand well you'd hope so if you've read the book (laughs) (laughs) you'd hope so um if we if we could dial it back a bit now from these you know talking about the industry to talk to focus a bit more on on you and i want to get a little bit technical with you here uh you are you and Felicity are always open to submissions. You're always looking to grow your lists. Yes. When it comes to a submission, you it, it's a pretty standard package. It's um short cover letter about the author, first three chapters or ten thousand words, yep. three sentence synopsis. Um with those things, when you receive a submission, what order do you open them in and, and where do you sort of put the most weight? Right. Well, I do love the three-sentence synopsis because yeah. it it's like when you buy a book in a bookshop. It's nice to know what you're about to start reading. So yeah, that matters to me. And it, it hasn't got to be – it's just got to describe – I mean, as punchily as possible. But So it's really nice for me to have the three-sentence description. My eyes scan the email sending the book in pretty mm-hmm. quickly – but I do notice whether the person writing the email is sort of able to construct a a narrative of what they're writing and why they want to be published and maybe a little backstory about them. Yeah. Um, and then I, w- I would never read the synopsis yet. I, next, I would always go to the writing okay. because I would only get back to the synopsis if I really liked the three chapters. So a vague peg of what I'm going to be reading in the three lines, then read the writing and see if I like it and its characters and its drive. And then having, say I really like the three chapters, which I'm afraid doesn't happen all that often. <laughs> I'll go back and reread the email and find out a bit more about the author oh, okay. and probably scan the synopsis to see what was going to happen. And I'm sure my lovely colleague Felicity does the same process. Uh, I, if I remember, she do something slightly yeah. different. No, if I remember, she does. Um, we that we didn't talk about that in the recent interview. It was in the first no. interview we talked about that, and I think it was yeah. She took a similar approach to it. She yeah. doesn't go anywhere near the the uh, the synopsis yeah. until she's like read the first few chapters. Yeah. But I've spoken yeah. to other agents, uh, and there are a couple that that go synopsis first. So it's always interesting yes. to know. Well, we're all different. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. I hate reading synopses. I find them, <laughs> you know. I hate, I mean, I think 
everybody the hates writing. Yeah, everyone hates writing yeah. a synopsis because it's so mechanical and it's yeah. it it it's against what you as a writer want to be doing. You know, exactly. it's it's just tell, tell, tell in this yeah. brief, like the uh, lifeless. And I would never make my synopsis longer than two paragraphs. I don't think. Okay. I mean, I know one can go for two pages, but you know, it doesn't need a and then and then and then. You know, it's it's just roughly where it's going and where it's ending up. So, so from a, a synopsis, essentially, is is broad strokes, just say yeah. uh, what's happening, right? Yeah. So, yeah. You, as long as you, you think, as long as a synopsis gets gets you through the sort of the start, middle, and end, yeah, as, as short as you can keep it. Yes, I I would. Well, that's great advice. And I'm sure a lot of people yes. writing synopsis will be relieved to hear that they can write a shorter yes. one. <laughs> I mean, you know, probably two pages isn't considered long, but I would regard that as the longest. I pos- And 20 pages would be just horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. But 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 you can see how, how you know, people can do that. And, and, it, and it's that classic oh, thing. Oh, absolutely. Write a book and then find out how to submit yeah. a book. And it's a whole, it's a whole yes. roller coaster of, of, uh, of different things to, to yeah. learn. Yeah. But that's really interesting. And hopefully, some people listening who might be thinking about submitting to you will take, will hear what you've said and yes. they'll send you yeah. more sharp submissions for you, to, for you to look through there. I mean, I always quite like if they compare themselves to other writers because it's a useful shorthand. You know, if they say I'm somewhere mm. between. Angela Carter and Sarah Walters, you know, it's it just is a useful shorthand that puts you in the you know right frame of mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm I am a sucker for a nice title. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sucker for a nice title. Everyone listening who's about to submit. Um yes. and, and talking about anyone who's looking to submit to you, what sort of stories, characters, genres are you looking for at the moment specifically to add to your list? I would say, and Felicity takes on more than I do. I mean, I'm pretty full. Um, I was going to. Your list is, I imagine, much bigger than hers. No, not much. No, she's not much. Not, she's got a big, big list. Okay. Um, she's probably got more developing authors. Than okay. I have, yeah. But, you know, sense. we we both move have different things. Um, I think anything sounding epic is great. Okay. Anything. An ambition, I think. I feel the market just needs something with a lot of ambition at the moment, that quiet is a word I'd always... I I mean, I'm going to... I love poetry, but lyrical is a word I'd need a few other adjectives linked to it. I wouldn't, you know, to launch a book that was just lyrical would be difficult. Um, Yes. (laughs) Books that tell you about something, um, an industry or uh, embroidering, I suppose that is, I, you know, books that give the reader information as at the same time as they're reading the book. So you're learning about something as well. Yeah, and yeah. Lots of, I love description of places and smells and, um, and of course, storytelling is the... I mean, those who can and those who can't, and those who can storytell is really what we're looking for. That that sort of mysterious, unquantifiable, yeah. and use of language. I mean, that matters enormously. Yes, but that, I would assume that use of language also is it's language appropriate to the thing you're you're writing or the character. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. 
Yes. Um, okay, well, that's that's very well, Maybe helpful. playing with the reader a bit. I mean, that's something. Okay. You, know, you are in charge of that person sitting there. And I think it's nice if authors show some sense of that. And, like a back and forth with the reader. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I, I love it. But don't confuse the poor reader. I, <laughs> I'm probably bad at you know, too much switching from points of view. And, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love traditional novels. I'm not. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, I've read a lot of the the recent epic fantasy, and a lot of them are like yeah. seven or eight point of view characters, and you're yeah. jumping between a lot. So I, I'm used to PMB swaps. If it works, it's fine. Oh yeah, course. that's it. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, that's the thing. But I feel one reads quite a lot that doesn't work because someone's using a tricky narrative device that... Yeah. Tolstoy and Dickens are my... <laughs> okay, well, the bar's pretty high with those two. But <laughs> we're looking for Tolstoy and Dickens. So if you've got that, submit, yeah. guys. Um, I, I, interesting, you mentioned um, quiet uh, quiet writing. A, a friend of mine yeah. is, was, is writing an article for Scooby. Uh, yeah. on um quiet versus commercial fiction what what's your take on that i mean thinking of children's books you know two writers i really love are michael morpurgo now i wouldn't regard him as a quiet writer in any way but he's a sensitive writer and you know it's not wham bam in your face I, i'm not not looking for that or you know, you wouldn't, I don't think you'd ever describe Mallory Blackman as quiet, but I'm, I'm just using examples of people who, they're not in, in your face as writers, yeah. um, but they're storytellers and they pick important themes and they're actually both quite in the middle of, you know, either boys or girls can read them. Uh, I, I think you wouldn't think Michael Mopoga was a quiet writer, therefore... But he's obviously a tremendously commercial writer. Yeah. But, but there yeah. are elements of quietness in his work. So quiet versus commercial isn't it isn't a total polarity. Yeah. You know, you've got to have something to say um, and to be able to tell the story and build it up. I'm I'm trying to think if I can think of a quiet book I've loved, and I'm sure there is something. Um the one that comes to mind for me is A Monster Calls. Yes. Yeah. Is that quiet? How, how can you, uh, you know, you... <laughs> what is just, quiet? <laughs> you know, if it was so quiet, you didn't notice it. It obviously isn't going to work. But yes. So I wouldn't describe a monster calls as quiet. Um, when we finish the interview, I'll probably think of a book that's quiet <laughs> that I love. Um, I mean, I captured a castle. Is that a quiet book? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess the way I'm I'm looking at it is is more that I'm thinking uh, the commercial books are the very loud, like nonstop action in your yes. face all the time sort of books. Yeah. Um. But but you're right in in that you know why can't a quiet book be commercial at the same time? Yeah. I mean, there have been writers because we're you know triggered by the Romantic Novel Award, like Rosamund Pilcher, who I wouldn't regard as quiet, but they're a sort of comfortable writer yeah. who's evoking worlds and taking you into them and yeah. it's not that sort of quiet I'm I guess an insignificant and quiet would be hopeless for me yeah yeah and I, yeah so I guess it's all down to what 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 is quiet for, for that the individual yeah and 
this brings us to the time where I ship you off to a desert island. And oh my goodness, just like that, so abrupt, you're off on a cruise. (laughs) What book would you take with you if you were stranded on a desert island? I'd take a nice hardback copy of the New Oxford Book of English verse because I've always loved poetry and I could read John Donne and Andrew Marvell and W.H. Auden and, um, you know, just all the different voices that I've loved and that would keep me busy for about an hour and Every day. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. And I then mean, I'd be are we on a desert island? I mean, I'd be absolutely useless on a desert island. <laughs> That's fine. You'd have your poems and uh and I'd have my poems keep you and once once a day for an hour I'd lift myself out of my gloom. Yeah. And there's a timelessness them. to poetry where you can read it again yes. and find different meaning yes. uh, in, in each word. And, and you line. might get quite cross with a novel if you kept reading it again and again and again. You'd reach a point where you'd start editing it because you'd read it yeah. so many times. You'd be like, no, this could have been, this could have been better. This yeah. could have been. <laughs> I think a book of verse would give you the sort of, you know, it would last. I mean, I hope I'm not on this desert island for too long, but say I was there for 10 years. I think it'd be much more chance of helping you than a novel would. Yes, perhaps spiritually. But I could take Marcel Proust because I've only read the first two books. I mean, if you took the whole okay. remembrance of times past, that would keep you going for quite a long time. It would, yeah, yeah. That, that, that would last you for a while. Or I could take Bleak House as a novel, which is my favourite novel. And there's quite a lot of that. So... Well, perhaps you could use it to like start building a shelter or something. You wouldn't have to burn it. I wouldn't it was big bother. Oh, okay, you just you just lie there in the <laughs> sun. Just swim out to sea, I think, and say bye bye. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with Not me, Caroline. It's been really lovely. And, it's been really um, informative. Thank you, and um, I hope your listeners will find it interesting. I'm sure they will. I yeah. am certain. If I mean, I found it interesting. So if they don't, I'm I'm yeah. I'm be- I'm benefiting from it anyway. And if anyone listening would like to keep up with Caroline's news and updates, you can follow her on Twitter at Caroline Agent. And if you're thinking of submitting to her or Felicity at uh, the Caroline Sheldon Agency, head over to the website carolinesheldon.co.uk. Be sure to read through the submission guidelines. That is your first test. To being published fulfill the guidelines and to keep up with this podcast you can follow us on twitter at right and wrong uk and listen on all the usual audio channels best of luck caroline with the award on uh, on thursday and hopefully i'll be able to see you at some point there that would be nice and yes and thank you for sharing all of your experience uh with, with me and and everyone listening thanks again take care and We'll catch everyone next time. Lovely. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Great fun. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.